So the the actually the the um, I guess the initial halacha uh, to talk about is the concept of mishenichnas ader marvin besimcha. So when ader starts, so there is a supposed to be an abundance of simcha. In a certain sense, it's kind of descri- describing a reality that beginning of Adar was the, we get into the Purim spirit. Uh, Rashi actually says that like, and Purim leads, into, leads us into Pesach. So it's kind of like a whole like continuum of stress. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's supposed to be happy stress. Uh, and, uh, but, but yeah, it's supposed to be, um, it's supposed to, so Rosh Hashanah Orbach actually says that like a person is, what does it mean? So like, okay, so Marvin Basimcha, what, what do I do? There are those that say that, okay, so maybe you do things to make, you do, like physically do things that make you happy. Try to make yourself happy with the actual, like, doing of things. But, That's interesting. isn't that interesting? Like, gifts you want to buy yourself for either. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Elevate the man. Right. Rav Salman makes it a little more economical and... Uh, <laughs> And he says that a person should really try to, to, at this time, push their worries aside and kind of like try to carry on life, trying to just be a little more happy-go-lucky. And uh, it's all, listen, if you think about the, the, the message of Adar and Purim, it really is about like, hey, you kind of don't have to worry about anything because uh, someone else is in charge. So, you know, don't worry about it. Uh, okay, so so that is... That's the general I, attitude of Adar. Uh, the first halacha kind of that we bump into is the, the four parshios, the Dalit parshios that we read. And the, the one that is kind of the biggie is Parsha Zachar. So we have Parsha Shkalim, we have, you know, there's Parsha Spar, there's Parsha Sachodesh. None of those are really uh, what we would call real chayuvim that an individual would have to think about or worry about. Those are things that the, the shul needs to take care of, but that's not an individual's problem. Parsha Zachar gets a little, is, is somewhat different. There is an obligation to fulfill the mitzvah of Zechiras Mechias Amalek, which is remembering the, um, remembering to erase the memory of Amalek. And according to many we shown him, this is something that is a Torah obligation, that this is a mitzvah mid-oraisa. I mean, the Pasuk says, Zachar sasher asalach amalek, to remember that. And it's really, the, the way the Mishabura captures it is that there, it's, like there, it's like a two-level remembrance. It's remember that they attacked us and that we are obligated to wipe them out. So, why we, so it's kind of like the cause and the and what happens as a result of that. How does this chiyuv, how does this obligation look, and how that applies to women is a matter of tremendous discussion in the Rishonim and in modern-day poskim. We have a, 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 an understanding, according to some, according to many, that the, the way this mitzvah was codified, in other words, once you have, if the mitzvah is just to remember about a malek, 
well, you just all did. So there you go, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the idea was that there's a codification of this. What is that? So there are those that say that it has to be read from a Sefer Torah with a minion. So it's a double thing. It's a Sefer Torah. There's a minion. Both of those things would be necessary. Does this apply to women as well? Is, is this the type of thing that women, the type of chiv that women would have as well? There is a lot of discussion about it. There is a famous opinion of the Minchas Chinuch who says that, no, women do not have this obligation because what is the core remembrance that we have to have is that there's going to come a time when we're going to know who Amalek is and we're going to have to wipe him out. Who has that job of fighting war? Men. Therefore, this is a male halacha. There's a question asked about that, that, wait a second, didn't women, when it came to conquering Eretz Yisrael initially, women were involved as well. So is this really just limited to men? And maybe this type of mitzvah, even though it's war, it's about war, maybe it would involve women as well. And... um, the answer to that is that, well, you know, not necessarily going to be the same type of uh, battle. And in fact, based on the kind of that comparison, and other Acharonim say that th- the war that would take place would be one that would not take place on Shabbos. It's not something that you're allowed to do on Shabbos. And therefore, if you have something that has days that you can do it, and days that you can't do it, that would turn it into a mitzvah that was time-bound. And any kind of time-bound mitzvah is not something that women have. Uh, and this discussion goes back and forth. Um, are women, or are they not, uh, are they, or are they not required to participate in this mitzvah? And the bottom line in halacha is that women are not required to fulfill this mitzvah, certainly not in the way that in which there's a Sefer Torah and a minion. So therefore, in America, it has become very, very much the minhag that women make their way over to shul for Pasha Zachar. And that is a, a wonderful thing that women have accepted upon themselves very not uh, not clear that this was the this is what was done back in the day in Europe and other countries um, that it's not it seems that women did not participate in that way. If a woman would find it hard to get to shul for Pasha Zachar, they don't have to sweat it. All they need to do is take out a chomish, read it, and then if they are if they have a mitzvah that would cover the mitzvah. Because certainly, according to most poskim, the structure of the Sefer Torah with dominion, that's not, that wouldn't be their thing. If anything, it would be just to read the Parsha. So, whip out an art scroll chomish, read it, and you're done. So if somebody does get stuck and 
things come up, um, you know, whether it be people aren't feeling well, uh, you know, all, all kinds of, you know, we have people go with a chauffeur to the hospital, you know, when women are there, but, you know, we don't walk around with a safer tower going to the hospital for partial zakhar, unnecessary. Um, and that actually poses a different issue because like, so what does a man do? So a woman is able to just sit at home. Uh, I remember one year in South Bend, there was tremendous amount of ice on the ground, Pasha Zahar. And it was really you know, hazardous for people, strollers, like all those, like it was just like an impossible kind of situation. And it wasn't, so the women didn't have to sweat it. The men had a problem because for a man, this Chiyuv does have the Sefer Torah minion thing built into it. So then what do they do? And the, the answer is that the laning that we do on Purim, on Purim we, before the Megillah is read, there's laning, it's part of davening. And the laning is actually from a different set of psukim on uh, the, the, um, the, parsha, the reading of Parsha Zachar is from the end of Parsha's uh, Kisavo. And, uh, I'm sorry, Parsha's Kisetze. And the, uh, the laning of Purim is from the end of Parsha's Bishalach, one of them is describing, looking back 40 years later, oh, remember when Amalek attacked us? That's what we read for Parsha Zachar. On Purim, you read Parsha Spashalach, which is kind of like the attack of Amalek in real time. And that can count as a person's remembering what Amalek did and the obligation to wipe them out as a result of that. So therefore, what, what a man would do is, if he missed it would be to show up on Purim, make sure you get there in time for laning, go to the Balkari, go to the laner, and say, hey, this isn't just like a regular weekday laning. Like, I need, I need to accomplish this mitzvah. Can you have me in mind? And that's it. And then he will accomplish it in that way. So, yeah. Is this chiyav an annual chiyav? Or a chiyav that has to be close in proximity to Purim? Like, could you have it in mind for Parsha's Bishalach when Parsha's Bishalach, you know, was so, to say, I'm having in mind in case for whatever reason I can't be there for leaning on Purim, I can be go say my Chiyov now. So it is an annual Chiyov. And the, the Takano was, like the way they established it was, like the structure of it was to make it around Purim. Right. Now, obviously, the year before Purim, they didn't do it around Purim. Right. Right, it's like, you know, Rashi's father didn't learn Chumash with Rashi, right. except when he learned with his son. But um, the, the, the idea of, like, when there wasn't a Purim, they still had this mitzvah. So it was, it was annual. There's a whole question of, there's an interesting question of, what if there's a leap year? So is it a 12, is it that you have to do this every 12 months? Because if there's a leap year, then you're not doing it every 12 months. You're actually doing it this as 13th month. And therefore, some people, when it comes to Parshas Kisetze, they will have in mind, because it's the last three psukim, that that will count as, that way they'll, you know, get another one in within the 12 months, right. and therefore they'll have it within 12. So it counts for the Bishalach two weeks ago. Yeah, that's what I was asking. So the Bishalach, yeah, I guess count? technically it could count if somebody had it in mind. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Kisetsi would cover the next year. Right. Oh, it's the next yeah. year. Right. Because we all had little babies and stuff. Remember we asked about the Rav, because it was very hard to get the show. Oh, for Zachar. Yeah. No, but I'm thinking if you had somebody that was an elderly person and you knew they would probably have difficulty getting on for them or to be able to hear a Malik, 
could they say it? A guy? Yeah. No, or could the to the person have the, that person in mind? Like, you know, my father, not my father, my father's no one, but my father is ill, he's not able to, I know he's not going to get here for this, can you have him in mind right now? Does he has to hear it. So the, the, the person... Oh, it has to be physically there. Yeah. Ah, I got it. Yeah, you got to be there. So if somebody can't get there... Then they, I get it. Right? Then, then if they can read a Chumash for a guy, it doesn't hurt. You know, that, that would certainly accomplish some form of the mitzvah for them. It only works if he misses, what you're saying. If you miss it, then you can ask to be... Yes. In yeah, that's a, it's, it's really a, a plan B. Gotcha. Yeah, the perm thing is a plan B. That's not the plan A. It's not a plan A, you know, A2. It's a, it's a plan B. Um, now, uh, w- the idea of having a separate laning for women, which I think that you have here, right. I believe. Yeah? Um, that is... They do. They do. Yeah. Yeah. They come in. Yeah. Take it again. So... That is, that's actually a controversial thing. That is a pretty controversial thing. Um, now, in many, I don't even know, like in many shuls, I think it's, I think it's actually quite normal. And, but, but there is a question of, are you allowed to take a Sefer Torah out for a non-official laning purpose? Sefer Torah is not something that we just move in a, in, in, in a, it, it ha, the Kedusha and the Kavod and the honor that it needs requires us to really treat it like in a super special way. And therefore, like any extreme, any unnecessary movement of it is already considered to be, mm, you know, kind of inappropriate. Yeah, I wonder if they put it back. Not, I, I, I don't think they put it back. Yeah, I think it stays yeah, on the Bima, they leave, they leave it out, and then... That's what they after, do here? I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I don't think they don't take think it back so. out. Mm-hmm. Is that right? I yeah. Think they leave it out. I don't really? think they put uh-huh. it back in. Because that doesn't, okay, I'm not sure how much that even helps. Oh, it doesn't Like, because that's, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's kind of like, it's just like, you know, the, the, the yeah. The closing of it and the, <laughs> yeah. the Lila and all that is like, kind of like tying it up, even though it's, it didn't go back to the own. So, I mean, um, the, the bottom line is that there are those that don't do it, but um, I think that most regular American shuls <laughs> do do it. Do, 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 do it. Um, okay. Now, um, boys who have reached the age of chinuch, you know, already six, seven years old, they're in on this. Girls don't necessarily, again, because the women, their chiv on this is kind of, you know, iffy, therefore to, to, do, to be mechanach a girl and to, you know, force a girl to show up, that's not necessarily necessary. We don't have to tell them that, but like, um, it's not, it's not absolutely necessary. Um, there's another issue that, that people wonder about is that, so if I have a mitzvah on any given day, there is a problem with eating before fulfilling the mitzvah. If there is a, if there is a mitzvah that is, so if, um, shachris is kind of similar to this, like do you like to eat before davening? That has a whole other layer of issue that, like, we don't eat before we daven because it's kind of like telling Hashem that, like, yeah, I'll be with you in a second. I just got to take care of myself, you know, and that's not so chavadik. Uh, there's another issue of if a person has a mitzvah that they have to fulfill, you got to get it right away. So that uh, a lulav, even to care chauffeur, 
These are things that we try not to eat before. So what about Parsha Zachar? Is this something that we have to have that same level of concern about that maybe we shouldn't eat before we do this mitzvah? And the answer is that no, it's not really a problem because the mitzvah isn't really locked into the day. It's, yes, we are nohig that right before Purim, when we have a mullock on our minds, this is like what we do. But since it's not an absolute chiyuv that this get done today, therefore, it's like, you know, it, we don't say that like, well, if you can't make it to shul on Rosh Hashanah, so then like, you know, the following Tuesday, we'll have tekios for you. Like, if you missed it, you missed it. That's it. There's only one way to get it. Over here, since there's wiggle room, that means that it's not locked into this day. A mitzvah that's not locked into this specific time gives us the ability to say, okay, so if it's not about this day, therefore, you can eat, you can make kiddush, you know, so if, uh, you know, in some, in some communities, they have the second leaning in the afternoon. So they'll have it like, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, five o'clock in the afternoon, so that it's not even like a whole schlep, you know, late morning to, to, to move around like that. So, and that, so therefore, that's okay. All right, so that's Parsha Zohar. And then the next step that we have is Tanis Esther. Tanis Esther is a fascinating fast. It is not a Tanis that is uh, driven. Oh, you know what? Just one more thing about, uh, about uh, Parsha Zohar is that so if you are here and you're listening to it, one should hear every word. The, he makes it, the Balkari makes it his business to be very as clear as possible. And a person should understand to a certain degree what's going on. Should know what the, you don't have to know what every exact word means, but to have the idea of what's going on and what you're listening to, that is something that is most appropriate. Okay, then we have Tanis Esther. Tanis Esther is not a normal fast in that most of the, all the other fast days that we have are because something really bad happened. So, Beis was destroyed, Yerushalayim's was surrounded, the walls were breached, uh, Gedalia was killed. You know, the different bad things happened in Kali Israel, and therefore we're fasting. Tanis Esther is more of a remembrance of what exactly happened at the time of Esther, that there was a Tanis that was made. It was actually, Esther called for fasting during Nisan, but... We just packaged it up nicely with Purim over here, and they moved it back to Adar. And also because during the month of Adar, the army, the, guy, the, the, the way a Jewish army functions is that not that we eat extra because we're going to war, it's we fast to do tshuva and come close to Hashem when we go to war. And therefore they were fasting, so therefore it's to remember that. So these are all, in a sense, positive things. These were things that really triggered the whole tshuva movement that took place in Kalal Yisrael that led to the ultimate uh, you know, redemption that we had at that time. So therefore, uh, there is a chumrah that a nice amount of people keep that during a tanis, not to take a hot shower, it's not like the biggest deal to, you know, to abstain from taking a hot shower, but like people don't, won't, won't take a hot shower. People won't listen to music on a regular Tanis. Tanis Esther, no problem. None of these things are a problem. You can listen to music. It's not a sad day. It's not a heavy day in that way. It's more a day of preparing ourselves. It's doing tshuva, coming close to Hashem, in, in that way, prepare, getting ourselves, uh, uh, 
you know, geared up for Purim. Somebody who doesn't feel well also, it's, a, it's one of the lighter tanesim. So if somebody's not feeling well, they have some kind of medical issue going on, be in touch with the rabbi because there is a lot of wiggle room when it comes to fasting. There is a minhag that I'm not sure how many women are familiar with of giving a machtis hashekel. So, and th- that is that, and the reason I just say, it, I don't know how familiar women are, because it's not usually something that's announced, it just kind of happens over here in shul on Tanis Esther. That's when it's done. So the background is that in the times of the Beis HaMikdash, there was a collection that was taken up for all the communal offerings. The, we read Parsha Shkalim to remember the idea that there was a call for Shkalim, and everybody had to donate, everybody had to give a half shekel coin. So it wasn't just something that happened, you know, back in the Midbar of Parshas Kisisa. It was something that was an ongoing annual thing that took place. So to commemorate this, we have a mitzvah of giving to tzedakah as a, as, as, you know, a reminder of this, this mitzvah that we unfortunately don't have the uh, ability to do. The baseline mitzvah, again, is a male mitzvah. This is something that is a really, uh, you know, bar mitzvah and up guys have to do. And there are different minhagim about whether or not women and children participate. There are many that are no hag to give on behalf of their wives, their children, uh, even if somebody's wife is, uh, is, is expecting, so then give for that too. Um, and that is, you know, these are different things, different men hug him. It's not expensive. People just, you know, it's a, it's a nice thing to do. Uh, the time to do it really is any time in Chodesh Adar. But the minhag is that mincha time on Tanis Esther, uh, right before mincha, is when people do this. There are, it's, it's usually a three half, um, whatever the main currency of your country is. So with half of that, it's a half coin that is used for it. So over here, you'll find that people have half dollars. People don't really, so what, what really goes on is that everybody kind of walks into shul, remembers like, oh my gosh, okay. So nobody's like walking around with half dollar coins in their pockets anyway. Well, you can't even get them. No. Yeah, so shuls like usually have a little stash. And they, yeah, so, so there are like, there's, They'll even take like tape and put around three, and then you you write a check or you give it a certain whatever amount of money that you want, and then you lift it up, and you acquire it, and then you put it down, and then you lift it up and acquire it. However many times you got to do that, uh, you know, rinse and repeat until you're until you're done, and the and then you give you're giving money, so you, so it's, you would have to give a dollar fifty, and then you could pick them up. They become yours, and then drop them in again. And depending on how much you want to give, you give that. And that is something that is not supposed to be miser money. It's a separate, kind of like a separate staka. If somebody gives a lot of money towards it, they can give everything above a buck fifty towards uh, you know, from their miser. But it itself is a dollar fifty that is not miser funds. That is uh that that's what we use. Okay, so then at the end of Tanis Esther, we get to um, the, uh, Megil- uh, the Megillah. So when, in, in general, Purim is a semi-yumtiv. 
Therefore, number one, as far as like appropriate attire, the minhag in Klal Yisrael is people dress up, wear costumes. In the event that someone is not wearing a costume, so then it is appropriate to wear um, nicer clothing. It doesn't have to be Shabbos and Yom Tov clothing, but it should be step up. Rosh Chodesh clothing, right? Interview clothing. I don't know, you know, like something that you have to, you know, something that looks a little bit better than, than regular. Uh, costumes are, again, costumes are okay, and, you know, adults wearing a costume, you know, in shul, okay, you know, like it's all, it's all good uh, at this point. What? <laughs> At this point of, yeah, like whatever you do, you do, right? Um, the, the idea of, uh, though this is, uh, I guess, a, this has become a charged issue, but like um, people should stick to their biologically assigned gender when um, choosing what clothes that they, what costumes they wear, that a lot of times you have, it's a humongous halachic discussion about whether or not it's okay, I'm Purim, not okay, I'm Purim. For people, there's a there's an iser in the Torah for a man to wear a woman's clothes or a woman to wear a man's clothes. It's, those are sukkim. So and then, but there seem to have been some in hugim on Purim for some kind of leniency with that. Very unclear. It's people should, people should be careful about that. Well, yeah. Now it's like now you just can't talk about it, right? Um, one should also be careful. Just it just comes up like people like you know they grab things from like uh, uh, like. Uh, Goodwill or whatever, like just you got to make sure things don't have shotness. A lot of times, like just something to keep in mind. Um, and again, like you know, it's technically for davening. It's technically better to just be dressed nicely. But if somebody's wearing costume, okay. Uh, it's it is a Purim is a day for tshuva, for tefillah. These are very much like the. The sense of, of the day is really all about those things, even though we're busy with lots of other things, but somebody should, you know, carve out a few seconds for that if you can. And also when it comes to malacha, what we do, there, the minhag is to not do any kind of like real time-consuming malacha on Purim. So it would not be appropriate for one to mow the lawn. Not that there's anything to do with that. Uh, paint your house. You know, th- th- those kinds of intense malachos are not appropriate for Purim. What one can do are things that have to do with the mitzvos. So therefore, anything having to do with Cooking, delivering shalachmanos, giving matanas lavionim, setting up your suuda, all of those things, totally fine. Those are all mitzvah related. Anything that does not take a lot of effort to perform, also okay. So if somebody wanted to uh, throw a load of laundry in, because like, you know, just... So back in the day, that was actually something that's like laundry was considered to be off limits because it was scrubbing and, you know, ringing out and hanging up and all that stuff. But now it's just, you know, chuck it in, push a button, you know, not a big deal. And that, that, that would be okay. So, you know, if somebody wants to write something down, you know, all those things, that, those are not things that we really have to sweat. 
uh, going to work is something that one should try to avoid on Purim. I, I feel like in my lifetime, this has majorly shifted in a, in a good way. Um, when I was a kid, I mean, it was, it was in, uh, I didn't exactly live in party town in Washington Heights, but, um, the, I, I have the sense that most of my peers, parents, fathers, like all went to work on Purim and then they came back for the Suda. Like everybody kind of came home for the Suda. And then I remember a certain point when my father stopped going to work and then I, I, it could be just be that people got more comfortable being overtly Jewish at work. I'm not sure. I'm, I don't know what exactly caused that shift. But like, um, but if one can avoid going to work, uh, then one should. If there's a real pressing need, financial loss, that kind of thing, um, then they can. And the Shulchan Aruch writes that if somebody does do malacha on Purim, when it's inappropriate to do so, then they will not see a simon bracha from that work. So it really is oddly tied to, um, very similar to um, Tisha B'Av. Mm-hmm. Like they both kind of have that same way that it's said about them. So very interesting the, 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 in the Gemara. So first of all, that's kind of a similarity between them. And then in the Gemara also, when it describes Mishinichnas Adar Marbim Besimcha, it says, and Mishinechnas Av, Mimaatim Besimcha, that when Av comes, we start reducing our Simcha. So there is this like uh, connection between the two things that are sort of polar opposites. Also, because of Purim being what it is, it is a day that one is not allowed to fast. So one, there, one is not, I don't know why somebody would choose to fast, but if somebody's into that thing, not on Purim, eat something. And if there is Rahman al-Litzlan, some kind of Levaya, there are no eulogies allowed. It's a day where that kind of, it's, it has a more festive edge to it. Okay, then we have the mitzvah of Megillah. So there is an obligation for um, Kriyas Megillah, for, for reading the Megillah and for the rest of us listening to the Megillah, but our listening is like we're reading it. So we have that obligation twice on Purim, once at night and once again during the day. And everybody has to either read it or hear the Megillah. Uh, if somebody, it's interesting, let's say somebody can only go to Shul once. Let's say they only have, for, for whatever reason, they're only, they can't, be out both at night and during the day. That there's, there's one of the readings that they're going to make and one of them they're going to miss. The daytime reading is the one that takes precedence. That is the greater chiv, so to say. Um, now, at what time can it be read? It can be read from, the nighttime one is from Tseis, it's from nightfall, all the way until dawn. So uh, these things come up, people... You know, people for good reasons end up in the hospital. And if you can get it before dawn, if you can find somebody who can read it to you, go for it. Uh, and in the morning, the and, and, and nighttime also, there is a concept also we have of Zuizim Magdim and the Mitzvahs, that we try to do mitzvahs as, with alacrity, we try to do it as, as soon and, as, and as, as soon as it becomes available for us. So 
at night, it's it's better not to wait until midnight to hear the Megillah, you know, try to get it um, when you can. Now, of course, there are going to be, you know, there's a regular laning, there's a, a later laning. That kind of, like, you know, the hour difference is, you know, the, don't worry about that. That's not a big deal. Um, so before hearing the Megillah, like with any other mitzvah, we're not supposed to eat. So I described before how before a mitzvah is taking place, one is not supposed to eat. And this kind of is, it sometimes could be a big deal for the nighttime Megillah laning. Because the reason that we don't, like, wouldn't it be much better if we came to shul, Davmarv, we had a quick kiddish, everybody wants to be in a good mood anyway, to eat something, okay, and then we'll settle, settle in and listen to the Megillah. Like, listening to the Megillah, empty stomach, empty head, not so, you know, it's not, it's not the best atmosphere and feeling for uh, concentration. So, the, 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 and, and the reason behind this is that when it's time to do a mitzvah, we try to hit it as soon as possible without any possibility of getting derailed from our intended accomplishment of the mitzvah. And the fear is that once we start eating something, drinking something, you make a kiddush, who knows? People stick around, people leave, you know, and then people get dragged out into other, they get derailed and they start doing other things. So the bottom line is that if a person is really not feeling so good, if they feel like they're not going to be able to, we'll, we'll see that one of the main things that we want to accomplish during the Megillah is actually to be cognizant of what's going on and to sort of be following word for word as much as possible, certainly following the pattern of the story, making sure we're hearing the whole thing. If you feel like you are just too spaced out to be able to do that and that your dehydration or lack of whatever is just going to kill that ability to, to be able to fulfill this mitzvah properly, then by all means, break your fast. Drink something, eat a little quick something, that <coughs> even, even this halacha of that we don't eat in that time period, it's really a 30-minute time period before a mitzvah, it's really about having something significant. So don't start a meal because then you'll be dragged after your meal. So in a situation like after Tanisester, so to eat, you know, a couple of uh, crackers, some, a few cookies, um, any amount of fruits and vegetables or drinks, because those are not considered meal foods, that's, te- that's fine. And, and I'm not saying it's an encouraged thing, but I am saying that if a person finds themselves really like they don't know that they're going to properly accomplish the whole Megillah thing, better to get the Megillah properly than to say that like, well, I messed up the Megillah, but that pre-Megillah not eating, that I made sure to do. Like, what for? So that you cannot be yo to the Megillah? Like, yeah. Dafka for the women who have to go here a second lane, isn't that, is there need to be more makele on that? Yeah, no, no, so, so with one, now, now, first of all, like, every year, I'm not even sure, this year, when does the clock change, before or after? Uh, yeah, that, that, that has become, before, that has become a thing, like, because it used to be, used to always be later, and then Megillah was earlier, it was a shorter day, and then, 
Yeah, but yeah, it's. I'm not sure when the cloud changes exactly this year, but I think. Um, oh, changes after. After. It changes March 11th and Parma is March 7th. Okay. This year we got it. In. We got it. Okay, so <laughs> we got an hour, um, and but yeah, certainly women who are hearing the Megillah later in the evening, for sure, not just could but should break their fast before the Megillah leaning. Uh, and even, the, so part of this halacha is, let's say somebody needs to, they have a mitzvah that's, that's impending, but they want to be able to eat something. One can appoint a watch, a watcher, somebody to make sure that they end up doing the mitzvah. So all a person would need to do, even if they had to, they felt like they had to wash and eat something significant like that, they could just tell someone else, do me a favor, remind me that Megillah leaning is at 10 o'clock. And then, okay, now you have that worked out and this whole eating thing doesn't have to be a big deal. Okay, so uh, next week we will take care of the rest of Megillah, Shalach Manos, Matanas of Yonim, and the Suda.